0: For obvious reasons, I think people hear this parable that Jesus teaches us today, and they think, okay, Jesus is teaching us about money. Jesus talks about wealth and true riches, so there's an obvious connection there to make. But I'm going to suggest to you today that maybe this parable that Jesus tells us is not just about money. It's about something more than that. This parable about the manager who is put over in charge of someone else's stuff. This is a parable then maybe about resources. How to use resources. What to do with them. So that as we hear the parable, we think, okay, what kind of manager... Of the rich man's resources was the man that Jesus spoke of. What did he do with his resources? What didn't he do with his resources? I'm going to suggest to you today that this is indeed a parable that we can look not just about money, but about resources, and that when you and I put ourselves into the story, that there is a resource that you and I, the church, have squandered just the same. Y'all with me? Okay, just make it sure. It's Sunday, y'all. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples, but I think, and I wonder, that if the Pharisees and the other religious leaders are still in hearing distance, Because it wasn't just a little while ago they confronted Jesus about eating with sinners and tax collectors because you know nobody good does that kind of strange stuff, Jesus. Now Jesus responds to their claim by telling us three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. And we see what Jesus really thinks about Eating with people that we don't think need to be a. You know, need to have dinner with <laughs> accepting who needs to be accepted. Jesus by telling those three parables put the, puts the Pharisees into their place and shows them just how much they know. About God's kingdom. And according to Luke, as the story progresses, those Pharisees don't go anywhere. And neither do the disciples or Jesus. So I understand that Jesus has just told told all the people these parables. He gives his direction towards the disciples. Knowing that the Pharisees can still see and still hear them. And Jesus says to his disciples, when you try to serve two masters, you are devoted to one And you hate the other. And that when you serve wealth, you turn your back on God. And when you turn your back on God, you become something God never intended for you to be. And when you become something God never intended for you to be, you end up in a spiritual roadside ditch. Don't end up in a spiritual roadside ditch, I think Jesus is saying. And if that were me, I think I would have pointed and said don't be like them. Because they've tried to serve two masters. And it has taken them away from what God has intended them to be. Their progression towards wealth and whatever has made them comfortable has taken them away from God's calling. It's taken them away from God's desire for them and the people that they are supposed to be leading faithfully. Their attempt to serve two masters has done nothing in their efforts to serve God's people. Now you and I, I think, we like to think of ourselves as more like the disciples. We want to follow Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. So we want to learn from Jesus. And hopefully we become like those disciples. But I I need you to understand that While that may be our heart's desire, quite often, we are more like the Pharisees than we think. In fact, friends, quite often, you and I are the Pharisees. All those Pharisees and those religious leaders who thought they had their act together, who were sure of what they believed and who they were, and tried their best to serve Masters. Jesus, I think, in some ways says that those people, those religious leader, leaders, have squandered the gifts that God has given to them. They've used their gifts for their own gain. they use used their gifts to make themselves comfortable. they use their gifts even to bring other people down. They have squandered everything God had given to them. Friends, I want to suggest to you that we have done just the same with at least one gift. With at least one thing that God has given to us. Leadership. Think if you can over the last 50 years or so about how many companies have started in somebody's garage and been able to emerge as a Fortune 500 business. How many people have taken on an organization that was on the brink of being gone forever, but transformed the way things worked in there, and now that organization is a vital place in the world, in the community of where it's at? Think about how so many people have been willing to fail in order to try to build something worth working for, and in so doing have done great things. You think about so many examples company after company, person after person. They've gone from here and they've gone up and they've been able to do great things. And all the while, in that time, the church, which used to have a place up here, which used to have a voice for the culture to hear, a voice for the world to take seriously. They've gone from up here to down here. Would you agree that the culture has changed around the church? Would you agree that things today, maybe 50 years ago, are not the same like they used to be? And that even some people are not the same as what they used to be? Is that a fair statement? Sometimes we, 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 we throw that out of our pocket We say, that's what happened to the church. People change. Well, friends, I want to remind you of another story. Remember that guy named Adam and his good friend named Eve? As the story goes, they were put into the garden, and they had everything available to them. God said, this place is yours. It's just one thing. That tree? No. Stay away from it. But what do they do? Eve says, hmm, I think I'll have a bite of that. Here, Adam, you have a bite, too. Uh, okay. <laughs> and they both disobey God. The story continues that God comes around searching. And he confronts Adam. He says, what did you do? And do you remember what the first thing Adam did when he was confronted with his unfaithfulness? He blamed God. Yeah, God, but you know, if it hadn't been for this woman that you gave me. So it seems to suggest that since day one, it has been very easy for us that when we get confronted about something, the first thing we tend to do is, but it's not my fault. It's your fault. Or it's somebody else's fault. Because it's a lot easier to do this than it is to do this. Y'all with me? Now, maybe there's some, some merit to those claims that the church makes. But those people today, they're just lazy. They don't care about anything but themselves. They're so focused on other things. Their priorities are twisted. They don't care about God. They don't care about faith. Maybe there's something to that. I had a colleague, I want, colleague of mine who, who said recently that considering the landscape of the spiritual nature of our, particularly our culture and our society, people have not lost faith in God. They have lost faith in the church. You see, it used to be that the church had a prophetic voice. It used to be that the church had something to say that was meaningful. It used to be that the church would raise up leaders who would impact their communities and the world around them. It used to be that the church would produce people who would do something good. The church was known for that. But now it seems like the church is really known for being judgmental and having a really great love affair with Potluck. What happened? What happened, friends? God has given all of us gifts and talents and graces. We have been made God's managers. What happened? I bet we are honest with ourselves. The accounting of our church management looks just like the accounting of that manager that Jesus talks about. We've squandered the gifts that God has given to us in our pursuit of something other than God. When did we stop being the people of God who would lead each other and lead the world into God's salvation? When did we stop focusing on God's will? When did we stop doing God's work? When did making disciples... Becoming our mission? When did we start selling for leftovers? When did we stop expecting our people to do something good? When did we start to think that we had no voice, that we couldn't raise up people who could make a difference in the world? When did we start thinking that we couldn't transform the world with God's power? When did the expectation that God's people could do something meaningful disappear? Friends, I'm going to tell you, I don't know when, when that happened. But I do know when it's going to stop. Y'all with me? Hear me, friends. You may never lead an entire nation in a civil rights The good work that you do may never make it to a single newspaper. You may never be called a church leader. Although we are looking for six to eight people to be on our outreach and welcoming teams. You may never consider yourself as a leader. But you have been given gifts and graces and you have been called to lead. You have been called to make a difference in this world. Some of us who have been able to overcome with God's strength, with God's power, great difficulties, we are to know that God has already given us power. What are we doing with that power? Friends, we can do this. Friends, we can do what God has called us to do. It's at this point when I remind people of that calling to do something that God's people do another thing that they're prone to do. We like to point fingers, and then we like to make excuses. John, I mean, I'm too old for all that. I don't really know a whole lot. I'm not like the leader type. I'm not real out there. I mean, I can't do anything. And then we remember somebody like Moses who had his excuses as well. We remember somebody like Jeremiah who had his doubts just the same. And I imagine, and I would, I would bet, that the disciples had their reservations too. But God used every single one of those people to quite literally change the world. My friends, you may look at me now and you think, look at that big mouth guy. He thinks he's got it all together. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm not supposed to be here. I was, I guess I've always been, the loud mouth. I'm sorry, what? The arrogant one. The one who thought he had it all figured out. The one who had his mind on his money and his money on his mind. The one that he was sure that what mattered in life was looking out for him and making it big and doing things for himself. Somewhere along the line, I got connected to a church, and it just so happened that the pastor happened to be my mother-in-law. Now, the worst thing about that, friends, no, really, the worst thing about that is I know a lot of good mother-in-law jokes, but I can't use them. Because I didn't have that kind of relationship with my mother Instead, my mother-in-law gave me some space and said, you do this. And little by little, I learned. Little by little, I messed up. And now all this time later, here I am in front of a bunch of people in Shiner, Texas, trying to convince them that God can use them to do the same kind of life-changing work. Are y'all with me? See, I don't do excuses very well because there is no excuse. You are here. You are a child of God. Guess what? You can transform the world with God's power. I'm convinced you can. And I'm convinced that God is convinced that we can. You wouldn't have received the commandment or the calling if that weren't true, oh, John, I don't know how to do that. I'm too grandparents. Believe it or not, you have influence over your grandchildren. Parents, believe it or not, your children watch and listen to you. You have influence. Spouses, you have influence with each other. We can lead each other to greater faithfulness. We can rise up, Christian people. That is what we are called to do. To rise up and to lead each other to greater faithfulness. To lead each other towards God's will. God's will. And as you hear that, you may be thinking, well, John, I don't know what to do. You're supposed to be the one we hired to take care of all that business. That's what churches tend to think. We want to get something done. I'm not going to do it. Let's hire somebody do it for us. It's not in the Bible that way. God says, you do it. You do it. But you still may think, well, I don't know. I can't come up with any ideas. I'm going to give you the first thing to do. If you feel like you can't do this leading stuff, if you feel like God hasn't really called me to lead, I don't have any ideas. I'm going to tell you the first thing you do. You want to hear it? You pray. You pray, and God will show you. If you ever felt like our kids today are suffering, and there needs to be something done about it, but you don't know, you know what you do? You go to the principal, and you say, man, our kids are struggling, but I don't know what the problem is. I don't even know what can I do. Would you tell me what it is our children need the most? And you know what I'm going to do, Mr. Principal? I'm going to pray. That's all I know how to do right now. You go talk to the mayor and say, what does our city need? What is it that our city most desperately needs God to do? That's what I'm going to pray for. And I guarantee you, friends, you begin praying for God's will to be done. And you know what happens? God's will is done. But friends, you've got to be willing to rise up and to lead all of us. Most people like to complain about the way things are. You ever known somebody who just complains about everything? Don't raise your hand. But that's something God's people like to do. When we see something wrong, we point the finger and say, I know what happened. I know who's responsible. I know what they did. So what? God didn't ask you to point fingers. God asked you to do something. God asked you to do something. If you remember nothing about today's time together, remember these two words, friends. Do something. Let's pray. Oh God, where could we ever get this bold conviction that you are able and willing to use us to do something good? We ever have those questions, God? Turn our minds and our hearts toward the cross. The cross that reminds us just what you were willing to do for us. God, forgive us for our squandering away of your resources, for trying to serve two masters, for trying to serve ourselves. God, free us now so that we can leave from this place as a people who are ready to lead, as a people who are ready to pray, so that in this world around us, your will would be done. Thank you, God, for gifting us, for trusting us, and for leading us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.